Today on Ag News Daily. They need to have a, a shipping certificate, and in particular on that shipping certificate has to be a final sanitary certificate as well. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm good, Mike. I just want to give a quick disclaimer because if anybody can hear a dog barking in the background, there's this annoying dog. I think it's from my upstairs neighbors barking. And I don't know if you can hear it, but I hear it and it's annoying me. No, I don't hear it, but I suppose I also should issue a noise disclaimer, Delaney, (laughs) because... My neighbor is actually getting after some corn. We've mm. got uh, his combines running, his grain carts running, and uh, so if they get near the house, I'm sure you'll hear it on the podcast. Well, we've got both noise disclaimers then today, huh? Absolutely. Speaking of disclaimers and noises and so forth, there was a cry of anguish across much of central Iowa this morning. Delaney, were you awake for it? Um, no. Oh, with the snow, you mean? We got snow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I didn't get any in Ankeny, surprisingly, but I saw some people from like West Des Moines. My friends posted on Snapchat that they got it. Oh, yeah. We got it in Grinnell. I mean, it was snowing even after sunup. And you know how yesterday I said there was not an amount of money you could pay me to live in a place like North Dakota Mm -hmm. where it snows in mid October. And then, of course, it snowed here. (laughs) You jinxed us. I jinxed us. Absolutely. But, we did get snow, but it wasn't anything that accumulated. We're, yeah. we're in way better shape than those uh, friends of ours up north. But mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting. Winter looks like it's coming early, and we just jumped right <laughs> over fall. That makes me so sad. Fall is like my favorite season when it's like mm, 50-ish, and it's crisp, but still like not cold enough that you have to wear a full-on winter jacket. No. I, I, I don't know. I don't care for the fall. Because the problem with the fall is you've got to – bundle up to go outside in the morning. Mm-hmm. But then throughout the day, you've got to keep losing layers as it warms up. So then you've got to, A, keep track of all the clothes you have stripped out of, or B, <laughs> get used to just kind of being a sweaty mess by the time 3 p.m. rolls around. I really, I both of them. I really don't summer. feel like Give winter. All the time. I really don't feel like winter is any better. At least like when you're in college, I remember like you would walk to classes, you'd be freezing. But then by the time you got to class, you'd be, like, walking so fast, you'd be sweating. The buildings would all be, like, 80 degrees. And then that same thing, you'd have to take off all your layers. You'd be there, like, a hot, sweaty mess when it's negative 20 degrees outside. And then you have to walk back outside and do it again. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. It was worse when you were hungover, Delaney. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Oh, jeez. I wouldn't know anything about that. I bet not. I bet not. You're a good person. But... Do you know, uh, Delaney, what? that alcohol is a carcinogen? No, I didn't. It absolutely is. It is a, uh, uh, it's one step above whatever the WHO classified hmm. uh, glyphosate as. Like, it's a legitimate oh. carcinogen. Is this some of your news for today? I'm leading in my news. Okay. Yes, indeed. I'm guessing both of the same story. While no, I don't know, but I like it. I like the Carcinogens. Uh, right, carcinogens, Yes. Um, A judge in California has decided to rule that there can be a new trial in the case of uh, the fellow who was exposed to Roundup and claimed that it caused him cancer. Mm. Um, So this judge, they're not doing a revised judgment. They're not shrinking the previous judgment. They're going to do a full-on new trial. And uh, basically, 
this. We don't have any details on when or where, but they said that um, Judge Suzanne Bolanos issued a tentative ruling that Johnson, the guy with cancer, Mm -hmm. had not provided clear and convincing evidence of malice or oppression Mm -hmm. by Monsanto. And apparently that was required in order to reach the verdict that the jury did. So this thing probably is going up for a new trial. Hmm. Okay. I guess that's good. Right-ish? I don't know. I I mean, it it all depends on where you stand. It's it's not not good for the guy that was awarded $250 million. Mm -hmm. He's now bummed out i'd imagine <laughs> but for uh for for bayer which owns monsanto now yeah it's another you know bite of the apple so to speak it's another right. chance to not write a 289 million dollar check hmm. okay well i don't really have a good segue off of that but um this is an issue that you get fired up about oftentimes on the podcast and that is yeah. uh milk that is not actually milk beverages nut juices yeah yes Right. So a new survey done by the International Food Information Council Foundation found that nearly four out of 10 consumers or 38 percent are now buying plant based alternatives to dairy products. I was blown away by that. I thought that was a large number. Does it say why? Um, Not really. It sounds it just sounds like. I don't know. It did, so I guess okay. wait, let me counter this with one good piece of information about this study. The, they at least found that three quarters of consumers know that plant-based products labeled as milk don't actually contain cow's milk. Really? So a full quarter think that three quarter, almond yeah, so, milk right. does? I guess. Wow. Well, I was trying to. I was trying to give it to you glass. Half full, Mike. Why you got to no, take me down like that? No, never half full. The glass <laughs> is always half empty and leaking. Uh. Uh, no, now I'm hearing this and I'm listening to mm-hmm. it, and I think because of the way they worded that, which is dairy alternatives, that probably includes like canola oil in lieu of butter or vegetable oil in lieu of butter. I mean, there are some. Is margarine? That'd be plant based, wouldn't it? It says plant based beverages. Oh, beverages. My bad. I, I missed it when well, you said okay, that. Well, okay, so the plant-based beverages, they know that those being labeled as milk aren't actually milk. But, yes, going back to the survey, it was it was plant-based alternatives to dairy products. So, yeah, right. it could include canola or cooking oils yeah, and that. coconut oil, whatever. Yeah, which, you know, I, I know a lot of people got turned on to those things mm-hmm. when fat was getting slammed. Yeah, and they're in healthier, the, in the 80s supposedly. And no, right. they are not, Delaney. That's what new know. science is showing I thought us. coconut oil was supposed to be healthier. No. No, because it doesn't have the fat. Uh, the okay. fat that we're now determining is what's good for you and good for your brain. Oh, oh well, then load me up with those oils. You want butter. Yeah. You want lard. That's I what like you it. want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but that's the, the new science anyhow. Okay. But we'll see. We'll see if that sticks around another 20 years or if it gets revised again. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yes. Who knows? Indeed. I've got an update here since I'm, I'm watching my neighbor's equipment run here through mm-hmm. the window. The Association of Equipment Manufacturers issued their monthly flash report, giving an update on the state of farm machinery sales. And for the year, going all the way back to January, the first nine months of the year, Two-wheel drive, small tractors, so those under 40 horsepower, sales are up 10% from last year. 40 to 100 horsepower tractors are up 2%. Two-wheel drive, 100 horsepower plus, 
are up 9%, but the number that jumped out at me, the big four-wheel drive tractor sales are up 19% over last year. That really surprised hmm. me, given where prices are. Yeah, and kind of the downtrend in ag that we're in right now. Right. Hmm. But I'm guessing probably a bunch of growers had put off new purchases yeah. for the past year or two and just needed to upgrade. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you're right. Yeah. Well, Mike, we might have a little bit of good news here coming in November, end of November, beginning of December. Did you see this on the wires yesterday? I doubt it. <laughs> okay, well, we've got... Finally, a meeting in place between President Xi and President Trump. They have agreed to meet in person at the G20 gathering, which starts November 30th in Argentina. This is really the first time that the U.S. and China will have a discussion since NAFTA was reached and also, I think, since the tariffs have been put in place. Yeah, yep, I think you're right. So hopefully it will go well. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, I hope they don't ambassador... cancel it. Right, right. Or they get into a fight, like yeah. in person. That would be that bad. Would be, that would be really bad. It would be really entertaining to watch, would, I'm sure, exactly. but really bad. Yeah, Because really both bad. President Trump and President Xi are very tall. I think I, that's what I was fight. just thinking. I mean, that might yeah. be. And maybe President Trump would be on board for this. Set it up as a fight uh-huh. and sell it on pay-per-view, oh like the McGregor-Khabib fight that was the last weekend. Uh, well, I mean, President Trump is a businessman, so maybe. And and winner gets the tariffs. <laughs> oh, I like that, actually. I do, too. President Trump, I know you're listening. Give me a call. We can that's set a, this up, and good. I'll just take a small small fee for the idea. <laughs> Oh, uh, hey, actually, while we're speaking of China, we had Delaney, mm-hmm. another African swine fever oh, outbreak in China. This one in the Liaoning province. Um, it's the fourth incident this week in the province. Not a big deal so far. It was on a farm with 120 pigs. 88 of them were infected, and uh, 72 of those have uh, gone on to the big farm in the sky. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, this tells me that it continues to spread. China does not yet have it under control. We also, as Delaney reported last month, have that case in Belgium. And boy, it's spread in both directions, headed towards eventually, hopefully not, but eventually the U.S. I think one thing that we maybe need to to share as a disclaimer, though, is the way that China's hog farms are set up. They don't really look the same as U.S. hog farms. I think a lot of them, in like especially in the rural areas, are very rural and yeah. don't use technology, and they're roaming hogs. I mean... Yeah, they're, they're pasture hogs. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're borderline they're, like wild hogs, I would say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, definitely the places where this disease has broken out are not the large-scale right. modern sow operations that yeah. China wants to move to. The places they're not breaking doing out any... are still places where those hogs could interact with yeah. with feral hogs in the They're wild. They're not doing any biosecurity measures in this in these places. No, no, probably not. Which but the more the disease spreads, the better likelihood it is that it will get into a real right. modern operation somehow. Yeah. And also we don't know really how much the media is censoring at this point, so this is just kind of what we're going off of. But I just thought we should throw that in there for folks that yeah. are like overly concerned. I mean I think we should be concerned right. about it, but I think there is a certain level of 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 realness that we need to factor in here. Yeah, prudent concern. Yes. But Delaney, you've seen the movie Jurassic Park, I would hope. Mm, 
No, I don't think I've seen the full you thing. You are kidding me. The original? <laughs> no, I think I've just seen parts of it. Ugh, well, in I that know. movie, the great Jeff Goldblum says, nature finds a way, which I think is what we'll find <laughs> with this disease. It will find a way into those larger mm, operations. But that nature? didn't land because you are basically uneducated in the ways Thank of you. pop culture, which is yes. I am not a typical millennial, but in the ways of nature, that does lead me into a segue here for my last piece of news for today, and that is Hurricane Michael and its effects in our southeastern part of the United States. It looks like uh, cotton growers in Georgia and Florida are still trying to assess the damage. However, the USDA has had some early estimates that Georgia growers would produce 2.9 million bales of cotton this year, which was going to be second to Texas, um, but it doesn't look like that might be the case now. They, oh. The uh, Georgia Cotton Commission, head of the Georgia Cotton Commission, said that about 20% of the crop was planted late and wasn't ready to harvest yet, but before Hurricane Michael happened, only about 15% of Georgia's crop had been harvested, so I think um, uh, affecting bulls is definitely a concern. Also, the area or the path that Hurricane Michael took in Georgia, I think, was supposed to be some of the highest yielding bales or highest yielding acres when you look at bales or pounds. Oh, production, Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, we also have to think about other produce produced in that state, which would include pecans and vegetables. And so about 5% of the state's pecans, 30% of fall vegetables, and 50% of peanuts were harvested before the storm, according to the USDA. But I sent Ashley Arrington a message on Twitter earlier today. So hopefully going to get her on next week and get her thoughts on really what the damage has done. And if there is widespread damage, what the cotton looks like, etc. Perfect. That'll be good to hear from Ashley. I know she works with a lot of growers, cotton, peanuts, and otherwise. So I'm sure she'll have some insight for us. And Delaney, you said pecan. Is that usually how you say it? Well, no, but that's how Ashley says it. Because you've gotten mad at me for saying it the correct way before, which is pecan. I think people from the South say it pecan, and I just feel like if that's their dialect, they're the ones that raise it. So I think I should say it like they say it. So I am expecting an apology. I don't know what you're talking about. You got mad at me because (laughs) you used to say, what, pecan. (laughs) Like you were fancy, like you had your pinky up in the air while you were sipping your Maybe I did. Eating a pecan pie. (laughs) No, you're eating a pecan pie. Oh, shoot. I'm glad that on Fridays we like to have fun and... This is We great. are having yes. fun, and I am demanding an apology in a fun, <laughs> fun way. Oh, well, I've got one other piece of news. It's not crazy fun. Um, but then we'll get into the markets, which on the green side kind of is fun yeah. for producers. Okay? But here's my final piece of news. Delaney and I covered the President Trump rally earlier this week, the announcement of E15 year-round. And we talked to a lot of growers and a lot of folks who were at the rally about, we've heard this before, You know, what do we need to do to make sure this actually happens? Well, guess what, Delaney? Hmm. Might not actually happen. Really? Um, Possibly. So basically everybody is in agreement that the EPA can't just write the waiver to get E15 sold year-round. It will require a congressional law. So something has to pass through Congress. It cannot just be a Trump vote. Okay. Trump can do what he did and say, EPA, write this rule, 
and the oil companies are going to sue, which we know they're going to sue, and right now it looks like they're going to win, eventually this thing would probably go to the Supreme Court. And, of course, we've got a new justice on the Supreme Court, don't you know? Yes, we sure do. We've got Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. Well, Brett Kavanaugh had uh, this exact issue in a case before him uh, in 2012, and Brett Kavanaugh said the waiver, he said, quote, the waiver might be good policy. If so, Congress has the power to enact a new law per- permitting E-15. But under the statute as currently written, EPA lacks authority for the waiver. Uh. So our newest member of the Supreme Court is not on board for what President Trump just did, which doesn't uh, doesn't give us a lot of uh, doesn't give me a lot of enthusiasm about the ability of E-15 to actually be sold next summer. It doesn't give me a lot of enthusiasm about his nomination confirmation. Right, right. I feel like uh, this would have been a pretty cool thing to know like two weeks ago. Hmm. Okay. Which maybe they talked about it. I, I didn't pay attention to the confirmation. Yeah. It's just so much screaming. I couldn't I do it. <laughs> no, I agree. Oh, oh also, so. before we get to the markets, today is National Farmers Day. So happy National Farmers Day to all hey. our farm listeners. Yeah, happy. So this is just another fake holiday. Stop it. These are the people that listen to us. This is not a fake holiday. If we get a Father's Day and a Small Business Association Day, I think there should be a Farmer's Day. I agree. They're all fake, though. I mean, who came up with National Farmer's Day? I don't know, but who cares? It's to promote agriculture. Right. I agree. It's a good deal. Happy National Farmer's Day, everybody. Maybe... Maybe people who set these fake holidays do it at a time we're not harvesting and we can actually appreciate mm, it. That's true. That's a like good set point. it in January or in June. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's more relevant because it's during harvest. Like this is the time when they're working the hardest. Right. You can't have a party if you're working the hardest. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Anyhow, well, their hard work is sort of starting to pay off a little bit more here after this week. Delaney, what do you say? Yes. Should we get into the markets? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zayner Group. Remember, you can put a marketing plan in, in place, and they can help you. Give them a shout. You can reach our friends at Zayner by calling 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zayner.com. Well, we've got green all down the screen in the grains today, starting with corn. The December contract up four and a half cents at three seventy three and three quarters. The March also up four and a half to close at three eighty five and three quarters. In soybeans, yesterday's rally continues with the November up nine and a quarter cents, finished the week at eight sixty seven and a half. The January up nine and a quarter, closed at eight eighty one and three quarters. Wheat actually got on board the turnaround train today with the December Chicago contract up nine and a quarter at five seventeen and a quarter. The March up eight and a quarter. Quarter, finished the week at 537 and a half. Jumping over to livestock, a well, bit of a sell-off today in the cattle complex. October live cattle contract down 30 cents at 112.3250. The December down 60, finished at 116.17 and a half. Weakness continued in feeder cattle with the October down two dollars two and a half cents at 154.70. The November down two twelve and a half, closed at 154.62 and a half. And slight strength here in lean hogs with the front month October up seven and a half cents at 68.75, with the December up 57 and a half cents to close at 55 dollars even. To round out the week, let's see what 
our dairy industry is doing in Class 3 milk. The October contract dropped a nickel at 1561 with November up a penny to close at 1577. We're talking prices, we're talking markets. We're going to continue that conversation in our interview with Dr. Frayne Olson about exactly how international trading of soybeans and other grains works. Well, we are finally going to shed some light on the soybean tariff, soybean exports. We've got an expert, Dr. Fran Olson. Dr. Fran Olson, who is a crop economist and marketing specialist at North Dakota State University Extension. Thank you so much, first of all, for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, no, I appreciate the invitation. I'm, I'm glad to visit. So let's try and, and look at things here from a big picture Let's first start. What sparked you to dig into this a little bit deeper about sending soybeans to Canada in particular or to other countries? Was it just the recent yeah. trade trade tariff talk? Well, we, we you know we're in North Dakota. We're very close to the Canadian border, obviously, and and um, there's product that flows across the line. Uh, for example, canola is is a northern grown oil seed. It's a dominant crop in Canada. We 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 exchange canola back and forth across the line very easily. Um, there have been some changes recently in the wheat movements because the Canadian Wheat Board was dissolved several years ago, and so I get questions periodically about um, the, the trade flows of wheat, in particular spring wheat that flow across Canada versus the U.S. in, in North Dakota and Montana. And now, of course, with the tariffs on, on U.S. soybeans, uh, the Canadians also, in, in particular in Manitoba, do grow quite a bit of soybeans. Um, this expansion of the soybean acreage north and west continues even into Canada. And so um, there are some discussions now about uh, potentially China increasing their exports of Canadian soybeans to help backfill some of the, their needs given the tariffs on the U.S. soybeans. So now the questions are, are raising, in particular from farmers, but also um, from some of the, the grain dealers on, well, what about the flow of U.S. soybeans into the Canadian market? And so there's, there, I've tried to do a little bit more research and a little more background and digging and talking to the, the trade experts and, and trying to figure out, is this going to be an easy flow of grain or is this going to be difficult? And I think that kind of leads us right into the reason we wanted to get you on today. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked quite a bit on the podcast about the tariffs and the trade wars and so on and so forth. And I said... Maybe we'll see more soybean exports from Canada as they import U.S. grain and then basically export it as Canadian soybeans. Frayne, is that possible? Um, yeah, that flow of grain is possible, and, and it's likely to occur. Um, the Canadian side uh, doesn't have a large soybean crush industry. Most of their soybean, uh, most of their oilseed crushing capacity is dedicated to canola product, canola crushing. Um, but in the eastern part of, of Canada, they do have some, some soy crushing plants, some facilities there. Um, and it's very likely that Canadian soybeans will go west and hit the Vancouver export facilities and, and move on through the chain into the, Canadian, into the um, Chinese markets. Uh, and, and it's, again, very likely that they will, you know, can export that given the price differentials and then use U.S. soybeans to backfill into the Canadian market for their domestic crush. I guess the more common question I get is, well, can we take U.S. soybeans, sell them into Canada, and then have them transshipped into the Chinese market? And the simple answer is no. Um, the, that gets much more complicated when, when it comes to certification and documentation. 
Perfect. And that's exactly what I wanted to lead you into next. So to clarify, once we ship U.S. soybeans into Canada, those do not become Canadian soybeans. Correct. Um, in order to be able to ship product internationally, um, in particular across the border into Canada, and this is the case for not only soybeans, but also for wheat and canola and all of the, the field peas and lentils, all of the pulse crops that go back and forth across the line from Canada into the U.S. or U.S. back into Canada, um, they need to have a, a shipping certificate. And in particular, on that shipping certificate has to be a phytosanitary certificate as well. And what that does is it documents to make sure that there's no um, diseases or insects or any kind of weed problems, um, noxious weeds, that are suddenly being transferred across the border um, illegally. Um, so this certificate, this phytosanitary certificate, also has the origin of the crop. Where was it grown? And that certificate needs to follow the grain all the way through the marketing system until it's finally used. And so it's, if U.S. soybeans were to be transferred into Canada, commingled with Canadian beans, that phytosanitary certificate would say there are U.S. beans in this shipment. And as soon as that were hit the export market, the Chinese obviously would recognize that and put the tariff on um, because it's U.S. source beans. Now, Frain, let's say I am a somewhat unethical elevator owner here in Alberta or Manitoba or wherever, and I import a batch of beans from the United States. I get my certificate, and then, golly gosh, Frain, I lost it. And then I go ahead and ship these beans out towards Vancouver. Wouldn't I get a fresh phytosanitary certificate at export that says these are Canadian beans? And I, I assume that's illegal, and obviously it's immoral. But is it feasible? But is it feasible? And that's that's a good question. Is it feasible? Uh, you know, it might be. Where I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure because one of the other things to be classified or graded, I want to be very clear, to be graded as a number two Canadian soybean, which most most of the elevators, again, in particular on the Manitoba side, that list price the post prices for for Canadian soybeans, list them as a number two Canadian soybean. Um, to be classified as that, it needs to be one of a select type of varieties. So there's only certain oh. variety lists that will be classified mm -hmm. as a number two Canadian soybean. And so if there's some way to be able to track the varietal um, definition for it, you can test for it and, and work backwards and figure out, uh, all right, where did this, some of the shipments come from? Because they're variety-specific and also location or geographic-specific? Correct. Technically, um, and, and I tried to verify this one on the soybean side, but I knew on, on the wheat grading, in order to be classified as Canadian wheat, it not only has to be a select varieties, there's only a, a short list of varieties, plus it has to be grown in Canada. And there's only one U.S. wheat variety that's cleared as a, a, in Canada for growing in Canada. And, and it's, I, I went through and I did find the list of the, the authorized soybeans that are registered for Canadian grading, um, but I would, didn't get a chance to cross-list that with the U.S. varieties to see if they're comparable. Interesting. So now I think that answers our main question, which is that Joe Grower in North Dakota isn't going to be selling beans into the Canadian export market directly. And now I want to come to a second issue because it's not one we discuss very often, and that's canola. With the new tariffs on U.S. soybeans, 
What is the canola industry anticipating? Are they figuring on a whole heck of a lot more canola meal sales into China in the next year? It, that's they are expecting that uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, China is actually a very large rapeseed producer or and or canola producer. Um, canola rapeseed is a common oil seed that is used in China. Uh, China is Canada's number one export destination for for canola as as whole canola. Europe is is the second. Um, they do ship some canola into the U.S., uh, but the majority of the lion's share of their canola is shipped to the, the uh, Chinese market. Um, now, that tends to be the raw uh, canola. It's not processed into canola meal and canola oil separately, although there, the, the indication that I'm getting is that there's more interest in even purchasing some canola meal, again, as a substitute for soy meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is an expectation, again, given the Chinese trying to modify and adjust to the tariff system as well and, and try and find alternative sources for oil seeds and in particular meal production, that canola, uh, you know, and they list it as rapeseed, um, will be a, a, a very viable substitute. Um, now, the challenge is when you get to the, the pricing of it, canola um, per unit of, for, like as an oil seed, canola is considered a premium oil. Um, and therefore, the oil has higher value, so the canola it tends to be a bit higher proportionally in, in oil content versus meal content. So um, the oil is really the desirable part. The meal is the part that also goes into the feed sector. It competes directly with soybean meal. Um, again, the Canadians are expecting higher shipments of raw canola as well as canola meal into the Chinese market as they, again, the Chinese adjust their system to accommodate or just uh, compensate for for the the lack of U.S. soybeans. Okay, and you mentioned canola is it has a premium for its oil. Is that a premium over soybeans? It's a premium over it. So when you look at the price of soybean oil versus canola oil, canola oil has quite a premium over soybean oil. Huh. Um, it because of it because of its 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 cooking characteristics and its health benefits. Hmm. It's considered a, a more healthy oil, and it has um, better frying characteristics for high-temperature cooking. So if you're frying French fries or potato chips or, or anything like that, it, it, it has a better it, – it doesn't deteriorate or degrade as quickly under high-temperature frying conditions. And, of mm-hmm. course, canola oil, as you add that into your, your um, salad dressings or whatever you can buy it in the, in the grocery store – um, has some some health claims that the traditional soybean oil can't have. Now the high oleic soybean oils um, can make some of those health claims. Huh? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. So I think, Fran, the last issue that comes up in my mind is we've talked a little bit about about Canada bringing in or importing U.S. soybeans. We know it's possible, but is it plausible? Do you see Canada importing a large amount of U.S. soybeans? Can their facilities handle it? Um, I, I believe their facilities can handle it. The, the, I think the challenge is going to be more logistics um, because if, if the Canadians are going to import U.S. soybeans to backfill for their domestic crush, uh, again, uh, most of the crushing oilseed crushing for soybeans is located in the eastern part of the country, eastern part of, of Canada. Um, and, and when you look on a map and you look straight south of eastern part of Canada, now you're getting into northeast um, U.S. And there aren't, there, there aren't a lot of soybeans that are grown in northeast um, U.S. regions. There's some, mm-hmm. but it's not a large quantity. 
And so when you think about the logistics and, and kind of the transportation cost of being able to get U.S. soybeans into the Canadian market, um, it may be possible, but there's going to be some challenges from a cost standpoint. And that makes sense. You know, you think of in the U.S. where growers need the most assistance, it's your backyard. There in North Dakota, those bean growers are suffering the most, but those aren't the beans that could then be shipped, like you say, to eastern Canada to be crushed. So that's frustrating. It, it is. And and I guess that was kind of the point that I was trying to get at it, is that, that the lowest price soybeans right now from a cash market standpoint are in our region. Um, and, and so they will, because we have such a hard time getting it, once the West Coast market kind of dried up, um, now we have to look for some alternative markets. And to move U.S. soybeans or North Dakota soybeans down to the Gulf of Mexico gets to be very costly. Uh, but again, the same thing, to move North Dakota soybeans into the Canadian market and get them to the domestic crush industry is, is going to be a bit of a challenge as well. Well, Dr. Frane Olson, thank you so much for taking the time to shed some light on this and correct some of my misconceptions. I do really appreciate that. Well, thank you. I appreciate the chance to visit, and, and hopefully we can do this again. All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Dr. Frank Olson. I think he really shed some light on this topic, Mike. I encourage you guys to definitely share this episode with your friends who have been asking you questions, who have been asking us questions, because I think this finally starts to cut through, I mean, the clutter. I mean, I think even like trade analysts yeah. still think that this is plausible, but it really doesn't sound like that's the case. Yeah, I, I know I learned a lot talking to Dr. Olson, which is always fantastic. I feel like I, he's cleared up some of the things that I've misstated on the podcast. So mm -hmm. listeners, I apologize. Trust Dr. Olson over crap that I say. I think <laughs> that's just a good rule of thumb. I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, if you are interested in other crap Delaney and I have said, you can check <laughs> us out on the website at com, or you can get a constant stream of crap on our social media sites. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily. And with that, Delaney, <laughs> should we let the people go? Let's let them go.